0: This is our last week of our soundtrack series. We started this on Mother's Day. Now we're all the way here. It's been 12 weeks, which feels like it's a while, but it doesn't to me, as like starting the series and diving into it. But here's what that means, right? This was our summer series. So guess what? Summer's almost over. Now, let's see where we're at in the room, okay? How many of you would say you wish summer would just go on forever? How many of you say that? Okay, handful. Of the teacher's hands just went up, right? They're ready to go. How many of you are like, nope, I'm kind of ready for fall to come? I'm in, <laughs> I'm in that boat. I am ready for hoodies. I am ready for football. I'm ready for soccer to come back. I'm ready for all of it. So it, it, we're, depending on where you're at in the room, right? This is a good thing. Like we're getting to August, so we're like less than a month till school starts. But like maybe you're wanting some, so you've got some summer left. But we're starting to to move in that direction of of here comes fall. And so um, at the at the end when I do the wrap up, I'll tell you what our next series is going to be. But this has been a really good good time for us to kind of walk through the fruit of the spirit and all that kind of stuff. And so what I want to do today is I I just want to remind us of where we've been and I want to kind of put a bow or put a button on this conversation and and, and how do we do it? Because here's what we did, right? We took all the fruits of the spirit and we went through them one by one, which is a, a separate conversation for each and every fruit of the spirit. And so there's a that's a lot of content, right? That's a lot of stuff to say, okay, I do well in this area or maybe I don't do well in this area and, and kind of figure out how it is. But then but then how do I make sure I do it all? Like how do I how do I take it and say I'm going to make these things a part of who I am as a Jesus follower? That that that's hard to do. And so I'm going to try and set us up to be able to have that conversation today. So, here's where we've been. Okay, especially for you guys who may not have been with us. We would say this is true. The soundtrack plays a huge role in how we understand the story. So movies, TV shows, video games, what you hear as you're watching what's on the screen is massively important for how you interpret what you're watching. The same thing would be true in the way we, the truth we tell ourselves and what we believe God has told us and how we store God's word in our heart and how we see the world around us. Really easy example, right? If you are a glass half empty person, you kind of see the problems. You see the issues. You would you would key in on that first. If you are a glass half full, there we go, got that time, you would maybe be a little more optimist. You would be looking for the good things and, and seeing how the bad things didn't happen. So when we kind of just know, like when I say that, you're like typically I'm this or that, right? We kind of either fall into that, those categories. When that happens, it's the way we process life. That's usually because we've told ourselves some sort of truth or we've believed something or something's been built into us, and that's the way we interpret the world. And so Jesus kind of gets to this with God's truth. And in Luke 6, verses 43 to 45, it says this, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. In verse 45, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from a treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So Jesus says, he says it, and I'll say it this way to kind of just rephrase it the truth you believe in your heart will produce the fruit you see in your life and so the question we've asked ourselves is what's the truth we're putting in our heart because when he uses that word treasure it's the same word we get the word thesaurus from so he's talking about words right when we see treasure in scripture sometimes we think about money or possessions things like that he's talking about the truth we believe He says, what you believe to be true is going to produce the fruit in your life and so then we draw the line To Galatians 5, verses 22 to 23, it says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So this is the fruit we're to bear. Jesus says, Believe the truth, and you will bear fruit. And these are the fruits that come. This is what should happen when you believe the truth of God. The question is, how do we do all that? We can key in on one, and, and like I said, as we've gone through, maybe there was a certain week that resonated a little more with you. Maybe there was another week that resonated. We went around the room and be like, which was your favorite? And we, we would all kind of maybe land a different spot. But the goal of all of it is to say all of these things, all of these things. And sometimes what happens is we can give ourselves a pass, right? If we looked at this list and we go, I'm pretty good at like five of those, that's a pretty good percentage. Like I can let the other ones go a little bit. But in reality, right, if we're understanding this correctly, we're supposed to have all of them, which is a pretty daunting task. To say, I'm, I'm always patient is a difficult thing to say, right? I'm always gentle. I always have self control. That's difficult. So, so how do we do that? What, what's a frame of mind or a, a consideration that would help us say, I can, Move in that direction and, and make this a part of who I am as a Jesus follower. And here's how I would say, ha, where I would go. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is where we're going to focus today. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And this comes from uh, Psalm 34, verse 8. It says this again. It says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. Now, when we see that, when we see the word refuge, we kind of get that. But another way of, of understanding that, is to say, trust. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who trust in him. And so the psalmist says, if we understand that that God is good, or in our context, we might say Jesus is good. If we taste and see that he is good, we have to also say that we would trust in him. That that would be central to the understanding of what it means to pursue this idea of making sure that we understand who God is and we are trusting him. And we're desiring to bear the fruit that he would want in our lives. And so what we've done throughout this whole series, right, we've started with a lie and then we end with the truth. Here's the lie I want to put before us today, that what I receive from the world will be better than what I receive from God. I think this is at the center of us not going after the fruits of the Spirit. Or, or not leaning into the fruits of the Spirit, or not saying we're going to be available and let the Spirit move through us to produce those fruits of the Spirit. That we would look at the world, or we would look at culture, we would just look at our own desires and say, what I think I'm going to receive from me, or what I think I'm going to receive from the world is actually going to be better than what I'm going to get from God. And we, when we have this conversation, when we started this all the way back on Mother's Day, we went to Genesis 3, and I, I want to go there again today. So go with me to Genesis 3. We're going to start in in verse 1. And if you would like to, you can always use, uh, if you scan the little QR code on the back of your uh, Next Steps card that's in the seat in front of you, you can follow along with all the verses and all the notes today if you'd like to. We'd love for you to follow along with us there. But as you turn there, or you go on your phone. Genesis 3 verse 1 says this. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now this is a question, but it's not a correct question, right? Satan knows, or the serpent knows that this is not actually what God said. But here's the thing. when he, The way that he starts this conversation, the way that he starts this question should always be troubling to us. He goes this way and he says, did God really say... If we start to ask that question, we have to be very, very, very careful. Now, there are times and there are things where people have added on to what God has said, and they've put certain restrictions on. If you want to go back to Bible times, you would look at the Pharisees and the the restrictions they were putting on people or the way that they were restricting life, and, and people do that today. People have done it in the past, and so we look at what God says, and we would add extra things to it. And in those moments when we want to say, did God really say, we should be, we should ask that question and say, is this really something God is asking us to do? Or is it something that's not, God's not asking us to do? But when we're dealing with a clear issue, right? This was a conversation that God had with Adam and Eve, and he said, you can eat from any tree, just don't eat this one. Just don't eat from this one. It was a clear sin directive. And then Satan comes in and goes, did God really say this is very dangerous? And we see this today, right? We want to go after something. We feel pulled towards that. And we go, did God really mean that? Did God really mean that I have to deny myself of that? Did God really mean that it wasn't supposed to be this way? When he's clearly said it and we start to ask that, did God really question? It's very, very dangerous. And so he says, did God really say you must not eat from, of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Verses 2 and 3. Of course, we may eat, from, eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verses three, or 4 through 5. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, if, if you have kids, right, you've probably come to a moment in life, or if you were a kid, you might remember this, where you tell a kid not to do something. Teachers might go through this. You might remember, right? And they look at you and they go, you say, don't touch that. And they just look back at you and go, or what? right? Or what? Like what's actually going to happen if I do it? What are they doing? Well, when we did this, right? I did this. Your kids, they're trying to figure out is what's going to happen to me as bad as I think it's going to be, or is it worth taking this risk and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to touch it or I'm going to take it or I'm going to do it, whatever. And maybe it's worth actually pulling it off. Now, if you have a toddler, they don't do this by actually asking it. They just look at you as they're doing it to see how you are going to react, right? They're trying to figure this out. All the parents in the room that had toddlers are laughing at me because they know. This is kind of what's happening, right? Eve says, we'll die if we eat it. Satan goes, no, you won't. It's not going to be that bad. You'll be okay. It's totally worth the risk, again, This is what we do when we think about what God has told us and whether we want to follow it or not. We play this game. We go, is it worth it for me to say, I'm going to step into this space or I'm going to pursue this relationship or I'm going to do this thing, even though I know it's not God's plan. I'm going to go because I just want to see. Like, what's the line on how close I can get where the consequence starts to happen and where I can still enjoy what I want to enjoy? And he says... You won't die. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, here's the thing. He wasn't lying. But God was trying to make sure that they didn't have to experience what God knew they were going to experience. Just like someone who looks at a kid and says, don't touch the hot stove. Why? Because we want to take away all your fun from touching the stove. No, it's because we know what will happen and you don't. And so we say that because we care about you. And yet at times, right, we decide we want to pursue that thing. So then what happens in verse 6? The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. By the way, Eve gets a bad rap here. Adam was right there, okay? So he was there too. But they both take it and they both eat it. Here's what's very interesting to me. ton of food analogies as we've gone through this, right? We want to bear fruit. Then I'm talking about taste and see that the Lord was good. Here's the thing that's super interesting to me. The very first sin was a sin of taste. The very first time anyone sinned, it was to say, I want to taste what this is like. That was the whole thing. God told me not to do it, which automatically makes us want to do it. But at the same time, what was the thing that drew even? It looked good. It looked like it tasted good. She knew the other fruits tasted good. Well, I want to try this one. So she did. And so Adam did. And so the very first sin was the sin of saying, I want to know what it's like to taste that. And I just want to experience it. But it was also, I want to know what God doesn't want me to know. I want to know what he's doing that, He's not allowing me to do. And so I, I think about this question when we process this. And I, I asked this of myself too. Why do we believe the creator of the universe wants to lie to us? Because that's ultimately what it is. When we decide we want to sin, we decide that what God has told us is a lie because we must know better because it can't be that bad. Because it's going to put us in a place that's better than what he's asking us to go to. So ultimately, if that's the case, if that's really it, that we can experience something better or it's it's going to be more fun for us or it's going to be the best thing for us. like If that's really the case and, and it's against what God says, then ultimately God must be lying to us. And yet, if we went around the room and we said, for for most of us, unless you're not a follower of Jesus yet, right? For most of us, if we went around the room and we said, do you believe God lies to you? We would all say no. And then, yeah, we would still make decisions that say, God must be lying to us because I'm going to go against what he says. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And yet, I'm saying along with you, like, I do it too. I assume that it must be a liar. It just must be better for me to pursue this thing. We're going to flesh out Psalm 34 a little bit further. So we're going to go back to verse 8, and we're going to read down to verse 22, because I think the psalmist has really good stuff to say about this and and helping us understand where do we get to the point where we'll say, I'm going to trust God enough that I'm going to actually put this into practice and bear this fruit. And so again, Psalm 34, verse 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge or trust in him. Verses 9 and 10. Fear the Lord, you his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. This is a very interesting analogy. Even the young lions, right? When you think about a lion, what can a lion catch and eat? Pretty much anything. They'll they'll chase down small game. They'll get something that's pretty big, right? They're going to go after it. He says, even they go hungry sometimes, but he says, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Now, I got to keep reading. Verses 11 and 12. Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? Verses 13 and 14. Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. What does that first verse there, that first phrase, verse 13? Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. What did Jesus say? If we keep the truth in us, it will will flow out of our lips and out of our mouth. And it will be the thing that comes out of our heart. What does the psalmist say? Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Like, it, it, it's all connected. It's all this idea of what's going on in here is going to influence what we say and what we do. And so the psalmist says, this is what I call you to. This is what you should do. Turn away from the, from evil and do good, just like Jesus talked about. This is search for peace and work to maintain it. Verses 15 and 16. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He will erase their memory from the earth. Verses seventeen, and eighteen. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And then he says this in verses 19 and 20. The righteous person faces many troubles. But the Lord comes to the rescue each time. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. Verse 19 is so important. Because if you just want to read the first, like, verses 8 through 10 or so, what did it say? You'll get every good thing. You'll live a long and prosperous life. You want to stop reading there, you're going to believe some things that aren't true. Read the rest of the context. And then what does he say? Especially in verse 19. The righteous person faces many troubles. What does that tell us? Even if we pursue righteousness, does that mean life is all rainbows and butterflies? No. So he clearly says it. And then he says, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. Like this is one of those verses that I think belongs on art hanging on walls, right? Because it frames everything correctly. Even if you pursue righteousness, it doesn't mean all the troubles are going to be going away. But it means that when trouble comes, God's going to be there. And the question is, do we want to face the world without God or do we want to face the world with him? Because if we face it with him, we know that he's there for us. And he says in the previous verses, like the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. If you chase the world on our own, if we believe that what the world is going to give us is better than God, our hearts are going to be broken. Even if we pursue God over the world, our hearts are going to get broken. But what's the difference? God's there with us. And he hears us. He says, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. Then verses 21 and 22, it says, calamity will surely destroy the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be punished. But the Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. And that last phrase, no one who takes refuge or trusts in him will be condemned. That's the goal, right? When we exit this world and we stand before God and the question is, how do you know you're good with God? How do you know that you're going to spend eternity with him? And we stand before him covered in the blood of Jesus and we say it's because of Jesus, right? Nothing I did, not by works, by grace alone, through Jesus. That's how I know we will not be condemned. And on that side, guess what? We get every good thing. We'll live that life that's long and prosperous because we know him, because the world doesn't end here. So ultimately, that's what we want. We understand that in the world, there's gonna be difficult times, but if we trust him, we get this opportunity to say we will not be condemned because Jesus has paid for our sins. So here's the truth, right? We talked about our lie. Here's the truth I want us to remember. The God who created me and died for me made a promise to me. The God who created me and died for me made a promise to me. Now here's, here's what happens when we think about God sometimes. Okay. And I think this happens in church. I think it happens in culture. Like, I think if you just did like a survey of what do you believe about God for just people that are just out on the street or whatever, like what would that look like? And, and usually it's something like this, that God is just sitting up in the sky on a throne, which, okay, he's sitting on a throne and got that right. He's just kind of sitting up in the sky. And God is just kind of this cosmic police officer, right? And, and what we would really want maybe from God is that when the bad people do things, like really bad things, that he would just like throw a lightning bolt and like hit them, right? And just be done with them so they can't bother the rest of us. And if there's a really good person that maybe they're over here, like they, they do really good things and they pursue righteousness and do it. They get a lot of money. That's what we would want God to be. So over here, bad people, let's just have God get rid of them over here. If I'm a good person, God will just give me a lot of money. Like that's kind of the idea of what we wish God would be. And if we end up over here somehow, we want the grace of God, right? That's what we want. We don't want the lightning bolt. We want him to say, oh, but you're good. Okay. That's just, for whatever reason, in our brains, that's the way we want God to work. And and it's the way that we kind of build the structure. But that's not how God works. In fact, we know that because of Scripture. And God doesn't say that if you're a bad person, automatically the lightning bolt's going to come. And God doesn't say if you're a good person, automatically your bank account's full. He says, I love you. I created you on purpose for a purpose. And I died for you. So, while we were over here, sorry, you guys, you sat on the wrong side of the room, right? While we're over here and we don't do the right thing and we don't do the good thing, what did Jesus do for us? He didn't throw the lightning bolt. He said, I'll die. Why? So that I could come stand over here. And when I get to stand over here, I don't go back over there. Even though my actions sometimes say I would be drawn. Side, like I, I stay here because Jesus brought me here. And when you think about that for a minute, like, like if you've ever been to uh, a funeral or you've heard a story of someone who gave their life for somebody, else. like they literally died saving somebody. No one sits around at that funeral and says, man, I really wonder if the person who died actually loved that person. No one asks that question because the reason we're all standing here is because that person loved the, per- love that person, like the person who died, loved the person they saved. That has to influence when we think about who God is and whether we're going to follow him or not, whether we're going to trust him or not. We have to recognize you don't die for someone you don't love. And so when we think about Jesus that way, we go, it it just changes, it rewires our brain. We go, God made me, that matters. God died for me, so he clearly loves me, and he made a promise to me. What's the promise? It's not everything that rainbows and butterflies, but if I trust him, if I pursue his instructions on life, if I live life the way that I'm supposed to, the way that he calls me to, then I won't be condemned at the end. That's the goal. And when we boil it down to that, like, how do I then, how do I then have the ability to live out the fruits of the spirit? It's it's just, there's this God that created me and he died for me and he made a promise to me and I believe him. So I live this way, even though it's difficult, even though I don't always do it. Even though it's easier for me not to do it, I pursue this instead of pursuing and believing that what the world has for me is better than what God has for me. And, and here's, here's the thing. When I, when I choose the world, here's, here's what happens. Okay. And we, and we do this and we wonder why things go awry and we wonder why things don't work out. Here, here's what happens though. When I choose the world over God, I roadblock his blessings to me. Like, it it doesn't mean that, like, yeah, I'm standing over here, my bank account's full. That's not what we're talking about. But what I am talking about is what was the blessing that God had for Eve and Adam? You will never know what sin is. You will never know what death is. You have the ability to do life with me. That was a great blessing. What did Adam and Eve do? They roadblocked it. They made a decision that said, this is going to change now the trajectory moving forward. And the same thing can happen to us when we choose to live life in a way that says, I'm not going to be the person that God called me to be. I'm not going to live the life God called me to live. That roadblocks certain blessings that are going to come because God has built life. Like he made the way, he built the way things are supposed to work. And if we don't live out that reality, it's going to roadblock what we understand and what we know to be true. And God says, if you pursue me, you will be rewarded. So what do I do? How do we, how do we tangibly say, okay, we're, we're going to pursue this? So simple question, right? What does it look like to taste and see that the Lord is good? I have three things I'm going to flesh out as we, as we kind of land the plane today. Here's the first thing. We have absolute trust in God's design and plan. We have absolute trust in God's design and plan. Now... Here's the other side of this argument, okay? I would say, here's my my argument, and then I'll give you the other side. Here's here's what I would say. When we look at Scripture, and God says something clearly, we follow it. Done. Not moving from it. Not getting off of it. Now, sure, there's some study into what do the Greek words mean, and how we understand. Okay, great. We're going to do that. We're going to say, but largely, here's what I would say to us. Largely, when we look at Scripture, and we look at the way people have understood what the scriptures mean for the last 2,000 years. There's not, we get it. Like when we read it at face value, that's what it means, okay? Now here's the other side of this argument that people would say. So you're gonna use a 2,000 year old book to teach you how to live today. And they would accuse pastors like me that say, let's read it at face value and take it. They would say, you're trying to manipulate and control people using a document that is far outdated and can't be true. But here's what I know, that when we study this out, many, 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 many times, like the vast majority of times, the statistics of whether someone has a better life or not based on what scripture tells us, the statistics are always on the side of God. So I'll give you some examples, right? One of the things that is so hard with this conversation right now that that we have absolute trust in God's design plan is his plan for marriage, right? Right? We would say, one woman, one man, till death do you part. In general, that's what we would say. The question in culture is, can it be two men, two women? What does that look like? How does that play out, right? And people will ask this question, and followers of Jesus will ask this question. Did God really mean? Right? We go back to that question. Did God really mean? And I'm telling you, this is what he meant. So, but here's here's and here's how I know this to be true, right? Here's why I get statistically on the right sides. Because people who follow that rule of marriage have a better success rate in their marriage. Some people will also say, let's get off of that conversation for a minute and say, there's also the idea out there, I have to live with the person and sleep with the person I'm going to marry before I marry them. Statistically, people who wait till they're married to live together and have that type of relationship have a longer marriage and have less of a divorce rate. So when we look at God's plan and we say, this is what God has handed us. This is what we're supposed to pursue. When we think about that and then we play that out, the statistics are in his favor. Why? Because he's the one who created it and he says, this is how it's supposed to be. So listen, this is the first thing we have to do. We have to look at God's plan and say, this is what I'm going to do. We don't play the did God really say game. And we say, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to put my trust in the fact that what he's calling me to is clearer and truer than what I think is true. I'm going to get myself out of the way. Here's the second thing. If you are growing in Christ, your tastes will change. Here's what I mean by this. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, this is what Paul says. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to the world or as though you were infants in Christ. Verse two, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. Verse three, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? If we're going to dig in and we're going to grow in Christ, our tastes are going to change we're going to pursue the deeper things of jesus we we even see this happen in life right was there like you think back through your life was there something you hated to eat as a little kid that you like as you got to be an adult you're like actually that's not bad right you like learn to like something and there are things when we say to kids whether you're a parent or a teacher or or you work in grace kids like anyway like we'll say don't do that and like later in life we're like yep makes sense i'm not gonna do that don't touch the stove when it's not like We get it. We start to get this deeper understanding of what it means. The same thing is true of us spiritually. That when we start to lean into this and we actually do trust God and we actually do try and pursue him to to produce this fruit in our lives, we're going to get to a space where we're going to go, I want to understand that deeper. Like You may even take a step into something and say, I'm only going to take this step in life because God asked me to. And if he doesn't show up, I might be in a little bit of trouble but I want to know what it's like to depend on God that much. I want to know what it's like to live life in that way. And our tastes change from, I want to feel good on Sunday morning and go to church and then just kind of do my life and have my community, whatever. and I just want to feel good about thinking I'm, I'm taken care of. Like, I, I go beyond that to say, I want this deeper change in relationship with Jesus, and it's going to influence every piece of my life. And our tastes change. And it's not about just the easy way of life anymore. It's about depending on him and saying, I'm going to take the tougher stuff. I'm going to understand him deeper. Here's the third thing I would say that it means to be, to taste and see the is good. That I am shaped by what God calls me to and not what my flesh draws me to. This idea of calling um, can be difficult. Like when we ask, what is God calling me to do in life? It's kind of a Christian word-ish, right? Like what does that actually mean? And when we start to dig in and understand that, when our tastes start to change and we start to say, okay, God, God is at least calling me to follow his instructions. At least. Right? Just follow after him. But then God, God calls me to do things in life or pursue him with, my life or pursue him in my vocation or pursue him in my marriage or pursue him in my studies or whatever it might be right we we get to this place where we go I- i'm not just going to choose what's what my flesh just draws me to like what my flesh draws me to i'm going to run through the filter of is god calling me to that and then that that friction is always going to be there like that that doesn't become easy but the more we choose his calling rather than our what our, what draws us and our flesh draws us to it it does get easier to distinguish. Then we do fall off or we make a mistake, we recognize it and we, we recorrect quickly. But we have to move in this direction of what does God call me to and not just what draws us. And many times in life, what happens is we live life based on what am I just drawn to? I'm just gonna go. Right? Wanna go over here this week, wanna go over here? And sometimes even what happens is we we get jealous of the people who do that as followers of Jesus. I wish I could have that freedom to go do that. I got to be at church on Sunday, right? I wish I could have the freedom to live that kind of relationship, but God tells me I'm not supposed to. Wish I could have the freedom to try that substance or whatever, but God says I got to be sober-minded, right? We almost get, like, annoyed (laughs) that we would follow the plan that God has for us that we believe is clearly better. But we get annoyed that we can't experience life and taste what the world has, even as we choose him. That's not it though. It's taste and see that the Lord is good, not taste and see that the Lord is boring. Like let's dig in and say, I, I get this. I understand that what God has for me is far better than what the world has for me. What God has brought me to and God calls me to is far better than just what I, my sin wants to draw me to or my flesh wants to draw me to. It's so much better. And as long as we live in the camp of, I'm not sure it's better, or I don't know if I want it, or I don't know if I want to pursue God, the fruits of the spirit aren't going to come. It's not going to happen. But when it changes in us and we go, I believe with everything I've got that what God has called me to and what he's got for me is far better than what I have for me, then the fruits of the spirit will start to come. That's when they start to flow. So here's the last thing I want to say and I'll make one more analogy and then I'll get out of the way and let the pan come back up. The trust you place in Jesus will produce the fruit of your life. That, that's like this whole conversation in a nutshell. Yes, it took me 12 weeks to get here. This is where, this is where it falls, okay? The trust you place in Jesus will produce the fruit in your life. Here's what I mean by that, okay? Remember what Psalm said. Even the righteous person has trouble, but God comes to save the day. Like, like just, I'll give you two different examples and you kind of, come up with where you fit in your life. There would be days maybe where you wake up and you got the promotion and you love your job and your family's doing great and your pay is going really well. And and, and what would be our temptation in that moment? Man, look how good I'm doing, right? Look how good I am at my job. Look at how good I am at being married or, or good I am at doing school or good. I Like everything's going right. And we, we could look at ourselves and like, look how good I am. Or we can look at ourselves and say, look how how good God is being to me. I've pursued him. I've done what he's called me to. I've tried to live out the fruits of the spirit. And that is producing fruit in my life that I, look how good God is being to me. I'm going to keep following. Him." Now, here's the other side. You wake up. You got to, you got to you're getting less pay, right? Business is not going well. Your business is struggling and the price of gas is going up again. Now you're like, why is God doing this, right? Why doesn't God throw a lightning bolt at the people that are making this happen, right? Why is this happening? Why would he do this to me? I'm trying to follow him. I'm trying to do what he's calling me to. I'm I'm trying to be that person. And yet still, things are going wrong. How could God allow this to happen? That's the temptation. Or we can say, just going to, he's got a plan. (laughs) I'm going to keep following him. I got to keep doing what he's called me to. God said, he's going to take care of me. I got to trust that that's going to happen. Now think about this. In both of those situations, whether it's a good day or a bad day, the person who wants to look at God and be mad at him, or the person who wants to look inwardly at themselves and say, look how good I'm doing, does not have the fruit of the spirit. They're not gentle. They're not patient. They're not kind. But the person who's trusting in God, all of that fruit can still happen. Even when times are difficult, all that fruit can still happen. What's the difference? We trust God or we don't. We believe that we'll taste and see that the Lord is good or we don't. We take refuge in God or we don't. That's it. The trust you place in Jesus will produce the fruit of your life question is how much do we trust him and do we believe his plan and and the way that he's worked it out and what he calls us to is going to be what's best for us or not so here's what i want to do to wrap up our time the band's going to come back up and they're just going to give us some space because we've processed a lot and i actually want to leave this Megan. i want to leave this question up there for a little bit we've processed a lot over the last 12 weeks and maybe you missed a couple weeks or maybe this was your first week whatever it might be And I I just want us to sit with that phrase for just a minute and say, what does that mean for my life? What does it mean for me to trust God? What what does it mean for the fruit I'm going to bear? Is it happening in my life? Is it not happening in my life? Am I going through something where I really need to trust Jesus and say, he's got a plan, he's going to figure it out, or am I getting too much in the way and too worried about what my flesh is drawing me to or what I want to taste and see from the world, right? Where am I in this? And I just want to give us a couple minutes. The band's going to keep playing, but they're not going to sing yet. And I just want us to stop for a minute and process this. I don't want us to run out of here. We spend a lot of time processing these ideas. And at the very least, what we can do is just sit and pray for a minute. God, make this true of me. I want to be the person who trusts Jesus enough that there's the fruit of that in my life. And ask him to move in that. So spend a couple minutes and just just pray, just reflect, think about that and then we'll sing our last song together.